0: Today we are at the fourth part of our series on prayer, called a conversation with God. And one of the clearest memories I have of prayer is when I was quite little, and our Lord's team has heard the story before, but it left such a big imprint on my life. I think I was still in in um, I, I only went to preschool for about six months before grade one, so it was in that last six months before grade one. And um, we we went to this mall in uh, on the east round or west round or somewhere in in the Johannesburg greater area, and I think it was Southgate Mall or Westgate Mall. I can't remember exactly, but we went to this mall that was almost Christmas. I'm a little boy of six years old walking through this mall, and they put up this this like Christmas Father Santa Claus kind of like castle house thingy, like inside the mall. So it's it looks like it's made from snow. It's got these little rooms inside. So. All our kids from, from pre-primary school, we walk through this little house and, and then there's windows and inside this window, you see all these beautiful toys with like little fake elves putting these toys together. So I'm walking through this little thing and I see an electric go-kart. You know those little electric carts that kids drive around? But this is like a go-kart, but a little electric one for children. So I went home and I can, so, I can remember this so well. That evening, I was lying in bed, and I grew up in a house where my parents both loved Jesus. We've seen amazing answers to our prayers throughout our life, so I go home as a six-year-old. I go to bed that evening, and I am praying, and I said, God, tomorrow morning, let there be a truck outside our driveway filled with these go karts all for me, and I was praying that so sincerely. I probably prayed that till till I fell asleep because I can remember that it felt like I was praying that the whole night. But this six-year-old boy praying for these go-karts, and I'm like holding on to this prayer. So the next morning, I woke up. I jumped out of bed. I ran outside to our gate, and guess what I found? A truck full of go-karts. No, not really. <laughs> I went outside, and there's nothing. And I think that was the first time in my life that I faced an unanswered prayer. No was the answer. Yes wasn't the answer. And as we're busy with this series, I think it's so important to talk about this as well because we started this series and we said, let's cut all the fluff that's often surrounded about prayer that prevents us from praying in public, that prevents us from having good intimate conversation with God. Let's cut all the fluff and let's get back to the basics about what prayer is about. And we said in its essence, prayer is a conversation with God. A conversation we learned in the first week means that God longs to hear our heart. God wants us to pour out our heart. No, nothing fancy. It's not about length. It's not about time. It's not about big words. It's not about the right names. It's not about anything. It is about pouring your heart out to God. We, we learned that prayer is important to God. In the second week, we learned that because it's a conversation, it means that God also speaks to us. It's not a one-way thing. If it was a one-way Either that God would be dead or that God wouldn't like His children and speak back to them. But we learned that we've got a Father in heaven that wants to talk to us in various ways. And we learned that we need to cut the noise in our lives if we want to hear God. So if you missed any of that, go to our website. Go to um, any podcasting platform. You can go and listen to this. But then last week, we got to an important one. And that was that we should pray with expectation. That we should go to God with a certainty that when I pray, that He will answer and it is important, so at our community groups this past Wednesday, people were like, but what about this that the Bible says, that God doesn't always answer prayer? And I said, no, we're not there yet. And why did I decide last week to only talk about expectation, to only talk about the fact that God does answer prayers, even if they seem impossible? Because let's face the reality of a, of a Western mindset, of a rational person. The reality is that often when we pray, and it is things that seem impossible in our hearts, we actually doubt that God would come through for us. And James, the brother of Jesus, last week we read this amazing story of how Jesus freed Peter, and Peter goes to this house where all the disciples are gathered, and he says, go and tell them that Jesus freed me, that God freed me from this prison. And then he says, go and tell the disciples, and go and tell James, the brother of Jesus. Then later, James writes a book in the Bible called, guess what? James. And then in James um, 1, he starts out, James 1 verse 5 to 8, James talks, about, James talks about prayer, and this is what he says. He says, when you pray, don't doubt, have faith. He says, because when you doubt, you're like a wave in the wind that's being thrown back and forth and back and forth. And then he uses this word. This is so crazy that he uses this word. He just goes straight for the throat. He says, if you doubt, you're like an unstable person. It's like you're unstable. So that's why last week, we didn't talk about the ifs and the ands and the buts, because often we can use those things as an excuse to pray a prayer of faith, a bold prayer, to pray in expectation, to actually trust and believe that God could come through for me in the most difficult times. We don't have an issue. As Western rational people, we don't have an issue to not trust God. That comes naturally to us. We have the issue to actually trust God. And whether you're a Christian today that's followed Jesus your whole life, whether you're a new Christian, or whether you're not even sure if God exists at the moment, and you're like, I just want to figure this out. I want to tell you the one thing that every single one of us has in common is the fact that we need to learn to trust God more. We all struggle with it. And that's why last week we said, let's let's not be like a, a wave. Let's not be uncertain when we pray. Let's not make excuses, but let's go to God with faith. But we all do have questions about the fact that Jesus, that God doesn't always say yes. Have you ever wondered about that? Like why God didn't answer your prayer? I have. When I was six years old, I wondered, why didn't the truck with go-karts show up at our gate? I prayed and I believed. So today for the last part of our series on prayer, our topic is when the answer is no. And sometimes God does say no. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Bible And see why the Bible says, why God sometimes says no to our prayers. Okay, And what I want to do is, I want to start with two verses. We actually read this at our community group this past week. And that's from 1 John 5 verse 14. And it says this. John writes, he says, this is the, what? The confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. So guys, I'm going to leave that on the screen for you to just kind of like look at. So, so let's, let's face some facts. Let's get the simple recipe of answered prayer from, from what John is saying. He's like, if we ask, God hears. And if God hears, He answers. That's simple. Ask. God hears because we learn prayer is precious, and you have, because God turns the impossible into possible. And then he uses this one word in at the beginning. He says, we translate it as the word confidence. We have confidence in this recipe. We have confidence that if we pray, God hears us because He's a loving Father, and He answers because He's a loving Father. So he says, this is the recipe. And that word confidence, I wanted to give you a bit of background. It's the Greek word um, paresia. And it means literally the, the meaning of this according to the strong's concordance is that it is um, freedom of speech. That's the that's a literal meaning. Freedom of speech. So that word confidence in Greek it says it's freedom of speech. This we have the freedom in speech. And then but it's often the most often way it's translated is plainly publicly, confidence boldness. So when I read all of this, I'm like, what John is saying is confidence means this. We've got freedom of speech to publicly Say this. We've got the freedom to to plainly state this. So often when we read this word in the New Testament, it says that Jesus plainly explained to them. It's like Jesus explained to them with confidence, with boldness. It was not confusing. It wasn't like doubtful. It was it was plain. It was with freedom of speech. It says we can we know that this is true with confidence, with boldness. And why is this word so important? Because what he's saying is when we ask from God, He hears us and He answers us, and we have so much confidence in this that we do not need to be afraid to even do it publicly, to even state this publicly, to say it plainly to people, ask, hear, answer. You don't need to be ashamed that God will drop you In front of your friends you don't have to be afraid that god will desert you in your in your most desperate moment he says we've got confidence that this is the recipe if you're a follower of god you ask here he answers that's it it's that simple that's what we spoke about last week but but there is one condition simple line at the end of verse 40 It's like what is the condition to this process and this, that is that we ask according to his will. But this is what it basically means. When you pray, you've got one of two choices. You can ask based on what you want. What you think will bring you pleasure, what will fill fill the empty void inside of you, what will be the best thing that will bring you most happiness, or you've got the choice of asking God what He knows will be the best thing for you, what He knows will fill the void in your life, what He knows will bring you happiness, but you've got one of these two choices. And the first thing I want to share with you this morning is when you are trying to figure out why is God saying no, the first thing I think is that often God is saying no because I'm in the way of my own prayers being answered. The biggest reason why you get a no is because of you. The biggest reason why I got a no when I was six years old and I was praying like crazy for for a truck full of go-karts is because I was in the way. I was in the way of what God wanted to do. I was in the way of God's plan for me. I think we've got this thing when, when we pray about something, especially when we feel it's super important in our life, and we pray about it, and we don't hear anything. And then we continue to pray about it, and we still don't hear anything. And maybe then after that you get a direct no, or maybe after that you still don't hear anything. It's easy for us to start to believe that God is the problem. Because God doesn't hear me, God doesn't like me, God doesn't care about me. I'm too sinful for God to listen to me. Or God just doesn't have time for me. Or God is just spiteful and vengeful and therefore he's saying no. So it's so easy for us when I have such a deep thing in my life that I need God to come through for me. And the answer is no or there is no answer. It's so easy to think that the problem. But I believe that we are the problem. Because the fact that John is stating is God, he's saying God is not the problem. If you believe in him, he's a loving father. He hears you. He cares about you. Do you remember from the first week? He takes our prayers. The angels put it in those golden bowls and mix it with incense. It's a pleasurable aroma to God. Your prayers are so important. God doesn't just like, oh, it's another one. One ear in, one ear out. God hears it. And God cares about it. The problem is me. The problem is that I don't often care about the purpose of my creator for my life. I just care about what I want. Guys, let me quickly put this into perspective. I shared this with someone last week, and I should have actually brought one here. Can you remember those old egg beaters, like two little klitzer keys at the bottom, and then you turn it, and they, you can beat eggs with them, like the manual ones? Now, imagine you, you have never seen that thing before. And someone gives that to you, and they're like, figure out what the purpose of this thing is. What would you do with it? Maybe like get in a boat, put it at the back, try to make like a, a manual motorboat out of it, um, try to cool off yourself in the heat and the thing, and like, try to create a fan. The, the thing with, with something like that is we don't know what the purpose of it is unless the designer tells us, no, that thing was actually created to beat eggs. Like, whoa, this makes sense. And it does its job pretty good. It's not a good motorboat. It's not a good fan. But it's good at beating eggs. Our problem is when we pray, we forget that we've got a designer, we forget that we have a God who created you and me with purpose, with a plan, and then we we just wanna be like, no, God, actually, I wanna be the motorboat, or actually, I wanna be the fan, and God is like, I've got a better plan. So instead of asking according to his will, his plan, his purpose, we get stuck in this thing where I'm asking only about what I want, what I think is good for me. And James, the brother of Jesus, actually writes about this. He's like, why do we struggle? Why do I get in the way? Why am I in the way of my own prayers being answered? And he makes it very simple for us in James 4. And what we're going to do today is you can actually keep your Bibles open if you've got it with you to James 4. We're going to be reading in two parts today, verse 1 to 10, because he kind of states, what's the problem? Why do I get in the way? And then the second part to this is, he says, okay, what's the answer? How do I get out of the way? So I want to tell you first, John said it's simple. God hears when we ask, and He answers. But I sometimes get in the way, and that's why I don't always get the answers. So why do I struggle? James 4, verse 1 to verse 5. James seems like this. He says, and, and, and I want you to hear, he doesn't start with prayer, but this flows into prayer. He says, what is co- causing quarrels and fights amongst you? Doesn't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. So there's this, is, this is human issue, like deep inside of us, that we want what we want when we want it, and that leads to, to um, desires, it leads to jealousy, and it's like that, that just destroys relationships. Then he goes on and he says, yet you don't have what you want. There's things that you needed to fill you, to make you happy. He says, you don't have that because you don't ask God for it. What was the recipe? Ask, hear, receive. He's like, you just skip the whole first part. You didn't ask, so you don't have. And then he says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. You cheaters. Don't you believe that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Other translations say that God is a jealous or whatever, and I get jealous of them. So now we do all kinds of things to try to achieve what they did. But what did people do in the past? I think one of the most common ones that people always speak about that's always in the, in the news is the fact that, the, the, that Britain and a bunch of European countries went to other countries, they saw stuff they wanted, they saw gold, they saw diamonds, they saw land, they wanted it, and they colonized it. So people often talk about colonization, but here's what, the world has been doing that since man existed. In the Bible, there's always wars. Everyone is fighting everyone because they see a piece of land, they want that land, so I kill everyone, then that's my land. The Mayans did it in South America. Shaka did it in Africa. Like Everyone has been doing it throughout the ages. People see something they want, and they would kill for it. Today, we've got strict laws. We've got all kinds of things in place that will prevent you from killing your neighbor because you want his car. So now you do other stuff. You work harder. You resent him. You you feel there's no contentment inside of you, and you just try to get what they want without killing them, and then you post it on social media, like, look at my new car, and like in the background, his car, standing there in the background of the photo, and you're like, yes, I'm, I made it. But what is interesting is God saying this heart issue of wanting what you want when you want it, of wanting more, wanting more power, wanting more knowledge, wanting more money, wanting more stuff, trying to fill this void in your life, it, not only does it create an issue with, God, with man, he says it creates an issue with God. He says, the need we have to, to want, what I want, when I want, is makes us enemies of God. God, we, we, because we have an issue. We've got a problem with, with not getting our prayers answered because he says, often we're enemies of God. Can you imagine that? Did you ever think of yourself as an enemy of God? I had to process this, like, am I making an enemy of God because instead of being his friend, instead of journeying with him, I'm like, no, God, I'm going to do my own thing. I want what I want when I want it let's quickly run through this, okay? What's a problem? This heart condition creates a problem with man. It creates a problem with God. But he basically lists three things. And he says, this is why I get in the way. He says, the one is, we don't ask. And this stems out of this problem where we want what we want when we want it. So because we are so used, why do you think men are fixers? Because when I want something, I will do whatever it takes to get the thing, whether it was war or whether it's working harder. Why do you think the wife walks in the door, she's telling you you what her hard day was, and you're like, this is how you should fix it, because you want her to be happy, so you tell her how to solve that problem. We are fixers. We are people who take what we want. We are hard workers. Life has taught us that live your dream, just work harder, you will achieve it. So we get into this mode where we start to believe that I've got what it takes to make my dreams a reality. That I've got what it takes to live out my purpose in life. I've got what it takes to make me happy. So instead of turning to God and saying, God, what is your design for me? What's your purpose? What's your plan for my life? How, how what, what do you want for me? How can you help me to feel fulfilled? I just like, I'm gonna do it on my own, so I don't even think about praying. And we spoke about this last time, last week. Often we wait. So we get to a point in our life where we've got no hope left, and then we're like, oh shucks, God is there. Maybe he can intervene now. When my marriage is completely falling apart, I'm like, God, maybe you can fix it now because I've tried and it didn't work. Or when I'm like, I'm so in the red that I don't see a way out, then I'm like, God, can you help? When my child is so ill that they are lying in ICU, then I'm like, God, can you help? When someone I love is on the deathbed, then I'm like, God, can you help? So instead of going to God and asking him for what we need, asking him for his plan, asking him for pleasure, asking him for happiness, asking him for fulfillment, we try to do it ourselves. And James is like, that's why you are in the way. You are the problem you don't get because you don't ask. You don't even think about God because you think you can solve it yourself. But then he comes with the second one. And this is the big one that, that lines up with what John said. He says, we need to ask according to God's will. And then James says, even when you ask, even when I was six years old and I prayed what felt like throughout the night for a truck full of go-karts, he says, you still don't get. Why? He says, because you only your motives are wrong. You only want things that will give you pleasure. What does that mean? that give me pleasure. It means it's things that God doesn't necessarily plan for you. It means that it's things that's not necessarily good for you, but it's things that you think will fill the void inside of you, that will fill the emptiness, that will take away the depression, that will take away the anxiety, that will make you feel happy, that will make you feel accomplished, that will feel that will make you feel like you've got power, that will make you feel like you've got fame. Those are the things we pray about. I wanted those go-karts because it would have been so cool to drive up and down a little gravel road in my electric go-kart. It doesn't matter if it if it's necessary for life. It doesn't matter if if God cares about it. As long as I could have it, because this is the hard condition that the whole marketing industry is built upon. And I used to be a marketer. I love marketing. I think it's cool. But marketing exists because of this hard condition where we want what we want when we want it because we we need external things to fill a hole in our life that we don't know how to fill it. I was watching a documentary this week where they spoke about marketing to children. Did you know just a couple of years ago there was no marketing to children on TV? It was marketing to the parents for the children. Like parents, this is the best cereal for your kids. And then mom is like, ooh, shucks, my kid needs to grow up strong, so I'm going to buy that cereal and feed my child. And then the marketers realize not only does adults have a problem with this, not only do we think we know best, but children also have this weird hole inside of them that they want to fill. So they shifted gears to market directly to children. And guess what? Sales skyrocketed because now they will show this new shiny toy. And kids are like, mom, mom, can I have this? Can I have this? And and mom is like, no, you can't. And then he sees it on TV again. He's like, mom, but seriously, look how happy the kids are on TV. It's so good. And then finally mom is like, I can't stand this anymore. So I'm going to buy little angel what she wants. The marketing industry is bold on this. Now they actually are talking in the U.S. about banning advertising to children because they're literally brainwashing them and manipulating them. They are using a weakness we all have, and they are exploiting it to sell more stuff. So let me tell you this: Do you really need a new car? Do you really need a new cell phone? Do we really need the stuff that we ask for so so, so intensely? When you one day lie on your deathbed and you close your eyes, would all of that matter? No, it won't. It won't. All of that will just be like, pfft. doesn't matter. But when we pray, doesn't that feel like the things that just dominate our prayer life? I don't know about you, but for a long time in my life, that was my prayer life. We remember to say, God, thank you for the food. Thank you for our, our house. Thank you for my work. And then the list start. God, please help me to achieve this, to get this, to find this, to do this, and to get this. I can't speak for your prayer life, but I was guilty of that. Because there were so many things that I wanted for so many wrong reasons. And I love Jesus. But I didn't get that he had a bigger plan for me than what I wanted. Like, you have to get around that. Because the third reason why we don't get links into this, and he's like, we make enemies with God. Do you know what happens when you keep asking someone for something, keep asking your mom for something, and she keeps saying no, a child throws a tantrum, why? Because they get angry because the parent is not meeting their needs and they're asking for it. So what James is saying is if you keep asking for the wrong things and God keeps saying no, You get angry at God, not because God did anything wrong, but because you want the wrong things. Now you're angry at God, so now like I'm going to stop praying because there must be no God because He's not answering me. And meantime, God is like, I am answering you. I'm saying like this is the wrong thing for you. I know better. You just don't get it. But you're angry at God. So we miss this. This need that we have to feel pleasure... This need that we have to fill something empty inside of us. This loneliness that you're so often experiencing. Augustine, one of our church fathers, about 400 years after Christ, Christ, he didn't follow Jesus. He came to faith and he said, we've got this hole inside of us. Like a God-shaped hole that God created into us. And we are trying to fill this hole with everything we can. That's why these addictions. That's why people go off the drugs and off their alcohol and off their social media and off the TV and off their caffeine. Because we've got this hole inside of us that we want to fill. But the problem is every hole that we try to plug, the newer car, the newer house, the better stuff. is like that is a round Plug, but it's like a square hole. And no matter how many times you try to plug this with stuff, you never feel more fulfilled. You get more money, and you just feel like you still don't have enough. The stress keeps boiling up. You get the stuff that you prayed for, and you just feel more like a failure. You don't feel more famous. You don't feel more powerful. It's like because you're filling it with the wrong stuff. Never going to be complete That hole that everything is leaking out of that fills us with so much anxiety and and sadness and depression and loneliness. That hole will, will, everything you try to fill in it will always just flow out because you're plugging it with the wrong plug. God's the only one. We pray for this stuff because we think it will fill us, but it doesn't. And the the irony is we get angry at God because we, we don't get the stuff we think will fill us up, but then we get into the spiral because now we're angry at God. But the irony is God is the only one who could fill this all. So we stop praying or we get angry or we pray for someone else, something else and God still doesn't give it to us. So we stop going to church because God didn't meet my needs. And God is like, but I wanted to meet your needs. I wanted to just surpass them. But you're missing the point. Can I tell you what God wants to do? God has the best plan for your life. And God wants to do so much more than you and I can think. Can I read you something from Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Hear what God says. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Do you know why God knows the plans he has for you? Because he created you for a purpose. If you didn't have a purpose left with your life, you would have been dead. Because I believe we are here as long as God needs us to live out our purpose. He says, I know The plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will pray. Then you will call on me. You will come and pray to me and I will listen. The moment when you realize it's not about the stuff that brings you pleasure. It's not about the stuff that you think will plug the hole. When you realize it's about me and you come to me, then then I will listen. And then he says, and you will seek me and find me and when, you see, when you seek me with all your heart. Then suddenly you will start feeling fulfilled. Then suddenly stuff will, make sense, will start making sense. Because God has a plan for you and you will, you will only feel fulfilled. You will only feel like stuff makes sense once you go to him. God has the best plan for your life. But it's so different to what we sometimes expect. Have you ever heard of a man named Nick Vujacek? This is what it looks like. He's really tiny because he's got no arms and no legs. You know what his book is called? Life Without Limits, Inspiration for a Ridiculously Good Life. I'm like, you can't live a ridiculously good life. You can't even chase away a mosquito. You can't even scratch your itch. Like, There's no way that this little dude can live a ridiculously good life. I'm like, how is this God's plan? How can this be good? Do you know in countries like Vietnam, where churches were banned, when, where people started to gather in their houses to try to do house church, and then they, they, they made it a law that people are not allowed to gather together in their houses because they tried to stop Christians from meeting together. They're only now allowed to meet in public spaces so that the police can stop them from meeting. This dude goes and stands in front of thousands of people and publicly proclaims Jesus, and guess what happens to him? Is he killed? No. He gets on his plane. He flies back home to his wife and his children. Because he has no arms and legs, everyone is leaving him alone. Like what? So what is the best life? What is the best thing that God can do for us? Not the thing we think to have two arms and two legs. This doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me why God doesn't answer my prayers. But God is like the things you think will fill you up. The arms, the legs, the cars, the money, the stuff you were praying for. Everything that you thought would solve your issues of emptiness, of loneliness, of anxiety, of depression, of whatever, of noise. it will never be enough. Do you know why we don't get it? Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And then God says this, as heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God is literally telling us this. I want, I've got something so beautifully planned for you. Something that will fill you with so much more joy and so much more passion and so much more pleasure than you can ever imagine. But you're asking for all the wrong things because you don't get it. You can't understand it because your minds are too small. Your IQ is too low. Like my thoughts are there. My ways are there. I see the bigger picture. I've got a plan for your life. I've got, I've got a plan that, that doesn't make sense. But that will mean so much to you and so much to the world. But it's like we don't get it because our minds are too small. It's like a parent. Like Abigail, a little girl of one year old, she doesn't know what's best for her. She doesn't wanna eat her veggies. I'm like, but it's good for you. It's like, no, it's not because it, it's got a weird bitter taste. I'm like, but it is best for you. It's good. high in iron, it's dog greens, it's good for you. And she's like, no, it isn't. And I'm like, eat it because it's best for you. And then I camouflage it with something else, right for her to eat it. God is saying you're not getting because you're asking for the Coke. Because like, but I've got broccoli for you. That's so much better. But like, no, but it, it, God, this doesn't work. Because like, you can't understand it. Because my ways are so much higher. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. So How do we line up? How do we then get to this place where, where if I keep standing in the way, if, if the things I think will fall me doesn't fall me, and I. I don't get my prayers answered because I keep asking for the wrong stuff. How do I get to a place where I I get to the right stuff? James 4, the last part, verse 6 to 10. Despite the fact that he just said we make enemies of God, hear what he says. Despite the fact that, that we disappoint God, despite the fact that we ask for the wrong things, despite the fact that we get angry at God, despite the fact that we make enemies, he gives grace generously. He gives it to you all though and, and to me, although we don't deserve it. Although we keep doing the wrong stuff, we ask for the wrong stuff. He just gives it. And not a little bit, he gives it generously a lot. It says, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Like that doesn't sound like pleasure. He says, but then this happens. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up in honor. So what can I do to line myself up? What can I do to step out of the way? of my prayers so that my prayers can actually be answered. He says the first thing, after you've met an enemy of God, after you didn't ask, after the fact that you asked for the wrong thing, what can you do to line yourself back up? It's like the first step is humbling yourself. Rick Warren said this, he said, humbling humility is not thinking less about yourself because you're beautifully made. God made you a little less than than heavenly being, the Bible says. You're so special, God knows how much hair there is on your head. Don't think less of yourself, you're precious to God. The requirement said humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. You know why we want all this stuff? Because I keep thinking about myself. About what will make me happy. About what's best for me. It's like humility is thinking about less about yourself. What does it mean? I think more about other people. I think more about God. Do you know why this man is making such a huge difference in the world? Because he's thinking less of himself and more about others in the kingdom of God. It's making a choice to, to shift our focus away from this to that, to God. That's what humility is about. That's what, what it means to humble yourself. He says the second thing is to resist the devil. Because every time you go on your knees, every time you say, God, it's not about me. Every time you take in that posture, whether it's physical or not, of, of just going before God and saying like, God, I need you. I receive your grace. Every time you do that, the devil's going to swoop in. He's going to come after you. He's going to try to, to shift your focus away from God, back to yourself. This is like, it's not only enough to focus on God, but you have to resist Him. You, every time that, that selfish stuff pops up, every time the stuff pops up that's just about your own pleasure, you have to fight it. You have to say, no, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to shift my focus. I'm going to keep it on God. Then he says the third thing is draw close. So you're focused on God, you're resisting the attacks of the enemy, you're keeping your focus, and then he says, and then something starts to happen. You start to move closer to God, you start to move in his prox- in, in his direction, you get closer and closer. And you know what happens with with proximity? It leads to understanding. The closer I am to my wife, the more I understand her needs. The more I understand their heartbreak, the more I understand their joy, the more I understand her. And if we want to step out of the way, we want to stop praying prayers that won't be answered because it's not God's plan, because it's actually not good for us. We need to move closer to God so we can start to understand his heart. And other things start to make sense to us. We start to think about things. We start to pray about things that we never prayed about before. And then the last thing, he writes a couple of verses. Like, there should be tears and there should be sorrow and deep grief. Purify yourself. He's saying, at that point, when you come close to God and you start seeing His holiness and His beauty and His power, and you start understanding something about God, you have to start looking at yourself and realize the things that create the distance between you and God, the sin, the mistakes, the prayers that were all about yourself, not about God. And he says, and then you need to turn away from that. That's what the word repentance means. It means I'm so sorry about something that I won't do it again. It's like saying, God, I'm I'm not gonna pray that stuff. I'm so sorry I did in the past, but I'm not gonna do it again. But then the process starts again and you start praying that again. You're like, I know, focus back on God. To fight the, the, the attacks of the enemy, you move closer to God again. And this is this process We move closer and closer to God. So the turnaround in your prayer life might just be to turn back to God. Sometimes God is not answering now because He's saying, wait. I'm preparing you. I'm teaching you. I'm guiding you. I'm leading you. Sometimes God is saying no because you ask for all the wrong stuff. the turnaround that you were looking for, the breakthrough in your prayer life, might just be to turn back to God. In time management, there's this this saying that goes like this. Sometimes you have to say no to good things in order to say yes to the great things. Same way with God. He has to say no to the good things we think is good in order to give us the best things, the great things. But we can only understand that if we move close to God. So, in the words of James, humble yourself before God and he will lift you up in honor. He will give you the highest position. He will will give you what you need. He will give you real pleasure and real joy and real peace and real meaning. You will stop feeling like you're just floating through life. You will stop feeling like you're missing something. You will stop feeling empty. You will stop trying to pray for all the wrong stuff to fold us up with because he will lift you to a place of honor. Let's humble ourselves before God. He doesn't always say yes. But he always says, I'll give you the best because I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, we struggle to understand you because your ways are so much higher than ours and your thoughts are so much higher than us. And I just pray for forgiveness, Lord, that so many times I ask for all the wrong things and I make the same mistakes over and over and I get angry at you because I am too small to understand your plan. But I pray, Lord, that you will help me to move out of the way. You will help me to put my focus back on you. That I would be so close to you that I will understand something of your plan for my life. That I will understand something of your heartbeat. And that my prayer life can line up with who you are. In Jesus name, amen.